millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort. So you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. So many of us feel stuck and unsure of how to make positive changes in life. Journaling is a proven way of keeping yourself on track and creating lasting change. The How I Quit Alcohol Playbook will take you through 365 days of gratitude, daily affirmation and loads of techniques to help you stay on track and head towards a clearer future. Head to the show notes or iquitalcohol.com.au to grab yourself a copy today. Are you sick of feeling controlled by alcohol? Do you want to drink less? Do you wake up on a Sunday morning feeling really anxious and full of regret? I'm Danny Carr and welcome to my podcast, How I Quit Alcohol. Hi and welcome back to How I Quit Alcohol today in the studio. I am so stoked to have my beautiful friend, Lissy Turner, here with me today. How are you, Lissy? I'm really great. I'm just loving being back in here in this beautiful little womb-like space with you. <laughs> I know, it's so nice, isn't it? It's been freshly painted post-flood and we don't get to get down here very often, so I'm very happy with that. But always happy to have you in my... Um... In your space, in your aura. <laughs> this is soul talk after all. We can talk about auras, can't we? We are soul talking. We're about half a day late because the lovely Sam Brown is over there really enjoying herself on Nusselombongan with no internet or very patchy internet service. So I'm the I'm the Sam Brown stunt double. <laughs> but just as important to me. I'm also very happy to be anybody's spiritual stunt double because that just sounds like a really exciting role because often when you're talking about the deeper things, it can be a little bit earnest, it which can. I have been very guilty of myself in the past and will probably also go there during this chat. But if I keep coming back to being a spiritual stunt double, we can keep it alive, <laughs> vibrant, dangerous. 
That's so funny because when I was messaging Lucy earlier, I'm like, do you want to come and do this today? We were going to do a podcast anyway, but I'm like, do you want to fill in and do this this soul, this soul talk thing? And she's like, well, yeah, but we don't have to sound like wankers, do we? <laughs> Can we still be funny? That's but, right. But also that idea that, you know, that we would be funny or that I would be funny. Like that's what I think is funny about that comment is that I probably won't be funny. I I might think that I'm being funny, but everyone will be like, oh my God, just get on with this whole talk. (laughs) You are actually really funny, by the way. Thank you, Danny. You are my (laughs) number one fan. (laughs) I actually think I am your, your biggest fan. So, and one of the things I want to talk about is me fanning over your new podcast too, which is just come out. Well, let's just take a step back on that because the reason why it's happening is actually because of you. So <laughs> Danny is so motivating. So for any of you listening, you already obviously know that because she's probably motivated you in some direction in your life or in multiple directions. So I get this random phone call from Danny just saying, hey, right, I've essentially got the rest of your life direction sorted out. This is what needs to happen. Get on with it, which is you need to be doing your own podcast, mm-hmm. just Lissy Turner, having conversations, and it needs to be the funnel for everything else that you're doing. And everything that, of course, you were saying was making such perfect sense to me and I'd had that, you know, reflection already. So I just felt a bit so much of the stuff that my husband and I are doing that I'm doing in my life is I, I'm loving it. But it was still a little bit closed in for me. Everything had a you know a theme or somewhat of a of a of a boundary, but then the idea presented by the wonderful Danny <laughs> to just be me doing what I think is probably one of my greatest skills, which is to just be the conversationalist mm-hmm. with other people and to extract from them all of those incredible super juicy bits, those gems of wisdom that every human being is carrying around inside of them. Mm-hmm but generally don't share because they don't even know. They don't even know that that little gem of wisdom that they perceive as normal because it's just written into their everyday existence could actually be the thing that when spoken out loud can change somebody else's life forever. Totally. Mm -hmm. So being able to sit in those conversations, I actually have you to thank for that, Danny. Like in so much of my life being that fire under my bum that just goes, (laughs) get out there, make it happen. And um, so the, the podcast kicked off, I think we're, we're a few episodes in and it's just been incredible to just sit in conversation with other human beings to the depth that goes beyond what I like to call the polite. Mm. You could almost call them impolite conversations, but that doesn't mean rude or ill-mannered. It's just this whole idea of politeness that restrains us from sharing that which is actually really important. You know, so many of the things that we've been taught are taboo have actually kept harm alive. Mm. So true. So when you take the lid off that and you just go deeper and deeper, don't accept the first answer to a question. Mm. So the answer leads in, okay, well, what's what's the next answer beneath that? until you're really at that place where people are talking from somewhere that's really rich and almost in the, had been in the dark and it's beautiful and poetic and all of those things. It's just it's a bloody privilege. 
It is, isn't it? And we've all got it in us too, that kind of rich part in us. Even people who I've had people come on the podcast or that I've begged to come on the podcast and they'll be like, no, I've got nothing. I'm not very interesting. I've got nothing to share. And they'll be some of the most popular podcasts that episodes where people are like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, what that person said in the podcast changed my life. Every person, if they're given that opportunity and space and sometimes somebody to just assist Mm. them to go to that place safely and kindly Mm. can see how precious they are. Absolutely. And yes, everyone has such, such a story to tell every single person. So yeah, your podcast, Lucy Turner presents every Thursday is out. So like, I love it. I love it. And I'm so looking forward to just hearing all that richness that you're going to drag out of people because you do it so well. (laughs) I feel like it's a little bit dusty, but it's, I've had, you know, I'm really lucky with some really beautiful guests coming on. Tomorrow's Vashti Whitfield, who's an extraordinary woman who I had not had any conversation with before. But just, you know, when, you know, conversations, they stay with you. They have a life of their own. And that podcast that's coming out tomorrow, I actually spoke to Vashti maybe a week, two weeks ago. And it's just so many things just suddenly come up from there. You know, you're doing your, your, just your life and... Mm. And she's such a bold and brave woman. She talks very much in the grief space because she lost her husband when they were both 39 And years her of husband age. was? Andy in- Whitfield. And he starred in the US series Spartacus. That's right. It's an amazing story. There's actually a, they, they released a, a, a doco posthumously about Andy's experience with cancer and that journey through Spartacus and the fame of that and it's such an incredible story that it hit this this incredible elevated place in his life that he dreamed of Mm. and then within a year he was gone yeah it was um, I saw that I think I saw it on Netflix and it was amazing so I'm really looking forward to to hearing that and I'm so glad you're doing this I'm so glad you're doing the Lissy Turner Presents I'm just so excited for you and I think it's another just another kind of way in which you're kind of transforming yet again and kind of reforming because it's sort of part of your old life. And that's sort of what I wanted to talk to you about today. So for those, most of you listening are probably familiar already with Lissy. She's been on this podcast twice. And if for those who don't, I would call Lissy a trash bag of an ex trash bag of the highest order. Of the highest magnitude of anyone I know, and and I know some. <laughs> I was one, but not even a tenth of. And and also, I guess you know. And then also had your own celebrity in um, in being Mel in the morning, Mel Bampton on Triple J, and all of the fame and all of everything that that brought along with it, and all the partying and all sorts of people doing all sorts of things, and how you eventually gave that away and totally transformed yourself and you changed your name, you changed everything, you changed everything. So what I wanted to talk about today was that when, this is one thing I teach in my challenge, in my challenge groups, one of the topics we cover is, you know, changing that self-identity, changing the label that we've created for ourselves. And I've talked about that before on the podcast, changing labels, but it really is a strong I think that's that fear of changing who we are or, or going into that unknown can be enough sometimes to just drag people back to where they were, even though they want to go somewhere else. They kind of want to be somewhere else, but it just seems so scary to change that. We think that we're 
we think we have to act in accordance to this sort of self-belief we have about ourselves forever. But we don't have to, do we, Lissy Turner? No, I mean, we absolutely <laughs> don't. And it is a really, it is an enormous thing. Absolutely what you're saying. It is so big and, and it's completely understandable that it acts like this rope or this, you know, this elastic around us, our self-identity when we're trying to move forwards and it's dragging us back. And I mean, because that's all that's forward is unknown. But really in terms of self-identity, that's, it's kind of like the most superficial part of our constitution, even though that sounds ridiculous to say because it feels so enormous. But the more you sort of do that work on yourself for want of a better expression, the more that you see is that the stories that we've created about who we are are kind of like nothing but smoke, nothing but clouds. Mm. That within us is this, this enormous part of ourselves that gets hidden underneath all of the stories. Mm. So much so that we believe that the stories are the whole. Mm. So my, one of my teachers give this great example which talks, it's referencing, you know, the relationship between the mind and that which is deeper, which is what I'm getting to, I guess, here is he talks about the clouds and he said, imagine if you could grab the clouds in your hand and you're holding cloud in your hand. Mm. It's nothing there. You know, there's nothing there, but the clouds can block the whole sun. Mm. So in relation to how our mind and our stories and this creation, this idea of self-identity, it's, it can be like that. It's like the clouds that are blocking this enormous thing that is truly who we are underneath, which is the sun. Oh, my God, am I getting wanky now? I've no. gone there already. I've got tears in my <laughs> eyes. I'm like, oh, my God, I'm just about to kneel at your feet. <laughs> Wank on, my friend. <laughs> I need no encouragement. Um, so that we get so caught up in that, in that thick haze of the mind and believe that that's who we are. But... There's a trust, there's an element, there's an enormous element of trust that is involved. What the trust is, who knows? That can be up to each and every individual or it can just be a sense of trust mm. where when we're fearing the unknown of who am I becoming, this is new territory. If I leave that behind, what am I, who am I? And we can lean into a feeling of trust in those moments and just going, I don't know but I'm going to practice this sort of trust into something that's bigger than me, that as I make positive changes, some parts of my enormous sun underneath are just going to start really shining. The clouds will be clearing, the clouds of my self-identity, or often I refer to it as the cage of self-identity. It starts to diminish and diminish, and there's something so much more grand underneath, but it takes a lot of trust. Mm-hmm to get there, to, to just keep going one step at a time, mm. to move away from everything that we've written about ourselves and know that it's going to be okay. It's actually going to be better than okay. It's mm. going to be better than where we've ever been before. That is the absolute. Like particularly if you're giving up something like alcohol, you can never get to a place in your sobriety and go, gee, I wish I didn't do that. <laughs> Things might call you back and, you know, you might get sucked back into that mind vacuum going get back here what do you think you're doing you belong here Mm. but as you diminish that with all the good tools that you have in place to go forwards 
that just becomes a nothingness, just smoke. But there's a lot of, obviously, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a rich journey <laughs> along that path because you're going to see parts of yourself that you've also never seen before. Yeah. Which And then other people also react with their own perspectives about who they think you should be, which can be very tricky. Well, along with our own self-identity that we've created for ourselves, it's also one that we've kind of informed other people of who we are. And so it's a big adjustment also for people to see their friend or their loved one being someone very different. And like you say, it's also often a reflection of where that person's at. There's so much self-empowerment, though, in remembering that your self-identity, though, is yours because there is so much of that that does happen, absolutely, which is other people have got your self-identity or their understanding, I have to be very clear on that, their understanding of your self-identity wrapped up into their own story. And I found that quite significantly, particularly when I changed my name. At first, I would say to people about my name change that it's simply because I, I got married. I decided, I made a very conscious decision, you know, that I suppose that empowered woman within me wrangled with the idea of taking on my husband's name. And I hadn't done it previously in my previous marriage, but I like to, to feel into things and actually experience to see how that sits with me. So I made that decision and then I was going to be Mel Turner, which is a terrible name. Sounds I like a plumber. Like, yeah, or captain of the women's rugby team or something, <laughs> or president of the CWA. I don't know, but it just felt, it felt, I hope there's no Mel Turner. Oh my God, I, I bet there's a Mel that. Turner listening, right? I'm so sorry if you're listening. It, I bet you, it suits you so much and you're none of those things. We just said, but even if you were, they're great things too. There's no backtracking from there, is there? No. <laughs> For me, it didn't feel right. There was something that I wanted to extend out that's, that was softer. So I was already a Lissy. And to my family. And I just thought, I'll, I'll let that spread out into the world. But because so many people, the vast majority, obviously, of people in my life knew me as Mel Bampton, some of them personally, of course, I had all of my, you know, personal people. But, you know, there was a million of them that, that didn't. And, of course, most of those people I would never cross their paths again who knew me as Mel Bampton in Radioland. But a lot of the people that were in my regular life in the music industry, Mel Bampton was an identity that they had some attachment or relationship with. So my name change challenged them. And it was really interesting to watch even over years, years of people still outright refusing. It didn't bother me, except now I'll probably, like it's 11 years in, now I'm a bit more like, I don't care if you dead name me, but you need to look at why you're doing that because mm-hmm. it's not your identity. It's mm. actually mine. Mm. I own my shit. I own my good and my bad. Not You don't get to own it. So absolutely there's these challenges that come from outside, from other people, but they are really opportunities to I don't know, breathe power into yourself. Mm. Just take a moment to... Stand a little taller, breathe a little bigger and go, actually, this is the road that I want to walk. My road, not yours. It's so powerful. It is really powerful to decide where it is that you're, where you want to go and who you want to be and not to be a slave or to be so caught up in what you were. And for someone like you, who's had that sort of that fame and that celebrity and 
to then become like an amazing yoga therapist. <laughs> Still amazing. It's quite, it's quite the leap, isn't it? <laughs> it is quite the fucking leap. <laughs> it's just like, and, and then to go from like partying so from, you know, such extremes to, you know, we just had a cup of chai and <laughs> here we are on the How I Quit Alcohol podcast, you know, quite amazing. I wanted to ask you this the other night. So Lissy came on and did a, a call and a, a bit of a yoga class with my grads group, which was really lovely. We did a Friday night catch up. And when you were talking about that and talking about how your body was rejecting the alcohol, I thought to ask you this, and I've never asked you this before, do you think you would have changed had your body not have been rejecting it? I, 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 it's a really hard question to answer, actually, because I don't, I don't remember whether I would be, whether I was in that psychological space. I mean, I'd given up before in some of the hardest times of grief, I generally turned my back on alcohol mm. at those times in my life when I really knew I had to walk through that space wholly. So that could have been a month, two months, three months at a time. So I always, and I think that's a little bit different often to how alcohol is wielded, but I always knew that in times of really bad or, or, or very deep grief, I had to do it sober, otherwise it was going to linger forever. So I, I had a relationship with alcohol where even though outside of those times pretty much I drank always, always, um, and my pregnancies, of course, I didn't, I didn't drink much. Um, but I was, I, I'd say I was ready, but it would, ne- it would definitely not have been as clean and easy as it was even though if you'd seen me in the two weeks, the last hangover that I had that went for two weeks, you would never describe that as clean. Mm. But in terms of a, you know, 30 or 20-year drinking career, to be sort of done and dusted from that last night and never drink again was pretty tidy, even though it was a two-week hangover transition. Mm. So a hard one to answer. I think I would have been ready. But how many more times would I have fucked it up and fucked myself up to get there? Mm. Because I'd, I'd, I'd had terrible experiences before and always bounced back to booze. <laughs> mm. So I know that the stupidity in me was strong. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's been strong with all of us and everyone listening right now. <laughs> it's, it's incredible, isn't it? Just the hold that things can have on you that create so much suffering and a lot coming back to what we're talking about today is the self-identity. It's the rhythm. It's the groove. It's what we do. It's who we are. So many of our events, like, you know, I just think turning up at, uh, you know, friends, kids, birthday parties. And mm. it's, that's just, that's just normal where we bring a six pack or bring a bottle of wine or mm. it's 11 o'clock in the morning and it's a five-year-old kid's birthday party and, I've oh, got- great. We're out in the sun. We've got a six pack. Yeah. So it's, it's wrapped up into so many things and obviously saturates literally every part of our being. Mm. But once it's, as soon as it starts to break up, you know, and you get those little opportunities to just have flashes of seeing something different, mm. it becomes a little bit easier, a little bit easier, a little bit easier. But what I just wanted to say, just coming back to what other people think, you know, how we've created, you said before, about creating this self-identity as well for them in their minds. 
But the really interesting thing, I think, on that is that because we're always projecting from the colorings of our own mind. So coming back to that analogy that the, the mind is like this sort of something that sits on top of that, which is obviously it permeates, but underneath is this, this true self, for, again, want of a better term. And the mind, the superficial conscious mind, it sits on top of that with, with all of its stories. And it's got all those stories kind of create this colored haze through which we see the world. So underneath is something much deeper. And then there's this thick coloring of this conscious mind. That's all the swirling mind of our stories and thoughts and opinions and experiences. And we're looking, our true self is having to look through that because this conscious human mind is the mind that we have in this lifetime. And unless we're doing the work to consciously clear it, it's very colored and it's very cloudy. So we're looking through that as if that were the lenses of our very colored, very cloudy glasses. So when I'm looking at something in front of me, I'm seeing that through my own coloring, which is unique for me. My, as I look at you, Danny, I'm still looking at you through the projection of my own mind, my own stories, mm. which means that there are as many versions of you or of me as there are people whose paths that we cross. Mm. So there's as many versions of me out there in the world as there are people who've crossed my path. So having, a, say, a million listeners a week, which was the, you know, that was the figures of Triple J listenership back when I was on there 15 years ago. It's probably grown exponentially, but, or maybe diminished because of who knows, but um, all of those people would have their own idea of Melbampton. Mm. So there's a million versions of me anyway. And then all the people whose paths cross in my life, all of those so what is this idea of self-identity? We're holding on to one version, but in fact, not a single other person has the same version of us in their minds out there in the world ever that crosses our path. Fuck, that's deep. Oh, yeah, we went there. God, <laughs> I can't help myself. I'm just there, like I'm just going and going. You just need to like grab me, pull me back. God, what's it like being inside you? <laughs> Ask my husband. Edit. <laughs> trying to balance out the earnest spiritualness now i'm embarrassed look i'm got red face no but you're so right like that's incredible like what an amazing insight that there is so many versions of us anyway and the one that we're seeing is whatever because that's just one version and it's so true you know you can be a million different versions or you know quite a few different versions of yourself in one day so why not go for this new one and leave this old one and you can do that with something as simple as you know, the clothes that you wear, you know, we have this idea. It's like, oh, that's not my style. It's like, mm -hmm. you know what that is? That's a bar in your cage. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I went through this year of only never buying anything new. So probably longer than that. It's probably getting close on two years. And because I made this mission sort of semi-public that I wasn't going to buy anything new, people were just turning up at our yoga studio and at our house with just bags of clothes. <laughs> it was so <laughs> awesome. And I just decided to just pretty much wear whatever anyone was bringing over. And oh, some God. days were so challenging, but it was so interesting to see that I'm challenged by putting on this, you know, sort of strange flowery skirt that's had a weird length that I would never wear and had this weird tie and just putting it on and seeing, oh, what does this do for me as I walk out of the house and dressed unlike Lissy Turner? You know, these weird, these really harmless ways of practicing 
this dissolution of your cage of self-identity in any way that you can. You start with the harmless things, the things that don't challenge you too much and you can even have a lot of humour around and then you start to become a master of change. You become much more embraced to the bigger things by practising in all these silly, fun little ways and then you'll see how much of a cage that you've placed yourself in by saying, oh, no, that's not my colour. I don't wear that colour. If you say that, you should wear it and just see what happens, how it feels. Oh, absolutely. Challenging those likes and dislikes and your preferences is such a great thing to do, like just to notice also, like how many times am I disliking something and having this preference and making life difficult because of those preferences and, you know, and you can get rid of that at any time. Any time you can choose to let go of it. I think I've told you this this story where we were coming home from, my husband and I were coming home from a friend's barbecue and this is years ago, like 12 years ago and she had a new partner and I was like, oh, it's a bit, I, I didn't really like him. And I said in the car on the way home, oh, I didn't, I didn't really like him. And my husband being my husband, Shane, he, he's just like, you know, the embodied sage. I know, isn't he? And he just says to me, and he never, he's not a wank, he's not a wanker about it like I am about everything. He just said, so what does that matter? Like he did, there was no, no, nothing in it. He was just like, what does that matter? And I was like, what do you mean? What does that matter? Like, isn't that the everything? And he's like, well, what is it? You're going to treat him the same anyway. You're going to be the same. You're going to, you're not going to do anything about that like or, or dislike or, so why not just, I don't know, like him or not like him or just be neutral and it's like this, I just sat there kind of in silence, like dumbstruck for the rest of the drive home, just this whole concept of what is it, what does it matter actually? Why do, am I putting all of this energy into my internal experience? This conversations in a dialogue about, oh, I don't really like them or I really liked them when I could just be neutral and have all of this extra energy for other things, like other things I wanted to do in my life Mm. so that was a bit of one of those you know those gems of wisdom we were talking about at the beginning someone says them and they're like like you've been struck by a bolt of lightning oh yeah and I just did then too because like what does it matter and if you're changing like if you are changing what does it matter if there's fear there what does it matter what does it matter if you change and thinking about that um, and letting that go letting that go that preference of oh I don't like how this feels so what would it be like to let go of that fear of, oh, I don't like how this feels or I don't like the thought of people judging me? What would it be like to let go of that? Because that's one of the things I think we need to let go of in order to change. So for me as Danny, the party girl, that was so much my identity. Well, I thought it was. Um, you can answer that. But for me, that's what it was for me. And there's that whole thing of like, okay, well, who am I now? What do my weekends look like now? you know, what are my friends like now? It changes, you know, there's so much fear in there of the unknown. But yeah, I guess if someone had have said to me that thing, so what does it matter? <laughs> I would have just gone, huh. You know what I just thought of then though, when you were talking, when you said Danny the party girl and and you said, well, you could tell me. And, and I thought about that. And you know what instantly came to me actually is the, yes, there's that side of things, you know, there's, there's kind of all the, the, the big nights, or the big afternoons or the big mornings, as was the case at different times. Or that big Tuesday. The, the most un-Tuesday of Tuesdays, which is never to be spoken about again. <laughs> and 
which was one of the last big times that Danny and I ever had together. <laughs> and um, But it was actually like, so those, those times were this sort of great, big, huge, because I've got big energy around them and things get big and loud and whatever. But you know what the most significant times were is always the times or the special times is the times in between the quiet, the subtle, when you're coming together, like when I would go to your house and we'd get to sit together and have a cup of tea or a glass of water or, and it was just you and I or just a small group of people. And it's like we were catching up in the dusty space between, but that was actually, that was actually the beautiful, special space that it felt it feels more significant, particularly now in my reflection, because you're getting, you're feeling like you're getting in behind closed doors almost with your friends. Well, that's what sobriety is like now for me. That's, it's in that kind of in between, you know, and it's in that special and you get to go in behind because it's so much more authentic. I hate to overuse the word because it seems to get used a lot, but it is really authentic. It is the truth. It's where it, it just sits in that beautiful sweet spot of who you really are. Yeah. And, you know, and that's how I want to be with my people. <laughs> where yeah, I want to be with people if is in you, that space. You, if that's your starting point where you can just be with each other in that sober space, that's your starting point. And then as you start to, as humans do, go deeper and deeper in conversation, you're already that much deeper in your starting point is already that much further along you know if we feel like we make these huge connections when we are drinking because a lot of the introverted fearful doubtful inhibitions are just out the window but then of course there's elastic rebound that retracts us back after that that makes us feel terrible and feeds all the reasons why we drank in the first place and then so we're always kind of we're always behind we're never starting forwards to go deeper with each other. And sobriety might in initially bring up fears and doubts and particularly around self-identity. But it's okay because it's okay then what you need to find equilibrium is the tools that are only going to progress you further. You mentioned in there about change, like that fear of change. And one thing I want to say on that, which is really important to remember, is that everything is actually always changing. Everything is always changing. We know this as a this is science. This is also esoteric because we bring this we bring this knowledge into our you know our progressive spiritual practices for one of a again a better term. Um, but everything is always changing. There is nothing that's static in nature. Everything is always changing. So once we've once we've really allowed that knowledge to steep in to seep down then all we realise that we've got to do is we've got to participate in the direction in which we're changing. So we're either participating in the direction towards, say, our goals or that beautiful dream or picture that we've got in our hearts of how we'd like our life to be or we're just getting kind of dragged along by the river of change which can take us in any direction if we're not paying attention. So it's kind of like if you're in, in a canoe and you're imagining that, you know, you're in this big river of change because we're in this river, it's always moving. But at certain places it diverts and it goes down different pathways and different channels. And one pathway might see us and our canoe exploding on rocks 
if we're not aware. But if we start to become more involved consciously with our change, we learn how to just put the awe in and we simply steer in that river of change in the direction away from suffering. So we're not trying to go upstream. We're not trying to be static while the whole river of change is pushing against us. We're learning how to move with change because everything is always changing. Just put the awe in, which is our really great tools, whether that's movement, breath work, meditation, good food, good people, all of that great stuff. You know, listening to amazing podcasts, like not necessarily this episode, but your podcast, things that inspire, people that inspire and show you a way. And then all you're doing every time then is you're putting the awe in and you're steering Mm. on that river of change. Mm. It's going to change anyway. Are you going to be involved with it consciously or are you going to get smashed on the rocks? Oh, God, it's so true. And everything is changing. Everything is changing. And I love that that thought of you're going to go down the river. You're going to get, Ash says this too, you're going to get there anyway. At some point, you're going to arrive 10 years from now. Now, how's that going to look for you? Is mm-hmm. it going to be like this disheveled, fucked up, bloated, alcoholic version? <laughs> or is it going to be this other version? that you, you can create and you can decide for yourself if you just get rid of the fear of the unfamiliar. One thing we, we work on in the challenge is projecting yourself forward. Five years from now, how does that look if I don't stop drinking? What does it feel like to be that person in five years' time if I didn't? And what's that feel like in 10 years' time? Fucking hell, it's so like, whoa, like if I don't stop this in 10 years from now, if I don't make some changes, how does that look? And most people end up in tears. Some people will say, like, uh, yeah, I'm not even here. And then as opposed to if I do change, how do I look in a year's time, five years' time? And then that 10-year point again, like the two differences. And I've got this choice of which road I'm going to go down. And this one over here, this this good change is so, oh my God, it's so stark different to keeping on going down that old familiar it just gives me it gives me chills you know when you came and I, and I guess I could feel you coming there because it's exact it's exactly where my mind went is that where would you be in 10 years or where would you be now if you hadn't given up drinking 11 years ago so I'm almost 11 years to this week where would I be now and instantly I feel that sort of sting in my eyes of like I would probably be dead mm. and it might not necessarily be directly from the effects of alcohol but it would have been something stupid whilst I was drinking. Mm. And then what would be the story for my children right now? You know, it stirs big, big stuff. And the other beautiful thing about that exercise that you describe is that it's also the reminder that at every moment, every single moment, we're all standing at a crossroad. Mm. Whether the action is, you know, the crossroad is, am I going to eat this or that? Everything is a crossroad towards, you know, am I, am I going in the direction of that dream of future me or is it continuing to reinforce me down a path that I don't want to be going and you can just take it little tiny action after every action but every single action is a crossroad that's either going to take you away from suffering or toward it and Mm. so it's so empowering in that moment and again to just practice with the small things so empowering another little exercise very similar Mm. um, that I encourage my clients to do about future you is to do, like just get out all the fun stuff, like whether it's your paints or your, your crayons or your textures, the things with colour and, and life and in them where you can just be a little bit creative and not you don't have to look at it like being artistic. 
but to just do a little drawing. It might even just be, you know, stick figures or whatever. But it's a, it's a drawing of present you is the first one. So you're doing two drawings. First one is present you. And what's present you got in, in your life? Just there's no, there's no sort of boundaries around that. But how is your life right now? What does it look like? And then you do your next one, which is future you. And it's absolutely uninhibited by any boundaries of the mind. Because what you find, of course, is that the mind comes in and goes, oh, you'll never be able to afford that. You'll never be able to get there. That won't ever happen for you because of blah, 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 blah. It's, it's just a drawing. Just let go. You're not, you don't need to be confined by the dreaming because of this sort of you know, dysfunctional, misplaced logic of the mind. You're doing a beautiful drawing of the dream of future you. No words, though. So you might want to encapsulate something in there. But do it with a symbol or do it with a flourish of, you know, the the pen or the paint or to encapsulate future you in five or ten years' time, whatever that is. It's the real dreaming from your heart space. And keep that somewhere close by so you've got it as a constant cross-reference. It doesn't necessarily mean that that's where you have to arrive in this lifetime. You're going to have freaking lifetimes if that's, you know, the way that you're, you know, I very much believe in that, Mm -hmm. that this is just a change of outfit when we need a change of outfit because we've got a shit ton of work to do so I'm going to need a shit ton of outfits to get this work done so it might not be necessarily in this particular lifetime but what it does it creates direction like you said so is the decision like if I'm at a crossroad what decision can I make at this crossroad that's going to lead me more towards that Mm -hmm. rather than away because how can we make decisions when we don't even have a, a reference point you need to know where you're going, I think, to be able to step yourself in the right direction. So it is so important to have a vision. Did you have that vision when you changed? Like I had a vision for myself when I first quit alcohol and I thought, I know what I kind of want to be. I want to be healthier and happier and fitter and da da da, da. And never in my wildest dreams did I end up would I ever have imagined that I'd be doing this work <laughs> or this podcast or I don't think hell. any of us saw that coming. <laughs> In the same way that probably nobody saw it coming for me well, that, that I would be a yoga question. therapist. Yeah. Did you ever envisage that for yourself? And was that kind of the vision or was it just to get well? In the beginning, and I think there's probably a fair amount of relatability in this, is that you're so kind of immersed in the, in the moment of, of that acute change from chronic behaviours that that's the initial focus, which is great because you need to focus on what do I need to do each day or even each hour to just get through that much time changing in this direction that I want to be going. So it's very acutely dealing with with that and what's going to fill the spaces. So my husband, Shane, he became a yoga teacher first and he'd been a landscaper and so, but it wasn't, it didn't seem as far a stretch for him and just his nature. He's always been a bit, he's just a bit yogi, isn't he? He's a bit yogi, like even (laughs) though he would have been, in his group, the trash bag that I was in mine, mm. but very different in expression because I would have been so loud and so like, we're going swimming in the ocean in the middle of winter at midnight at Bondi, you know, with a south, massive south swell. And he wouldn't, I don't, I mean, maybe he did, but he would be the one like me that probably, you know, pass out at the end and wake up in the morning somewhere ridiculous, covered in vomit. You know, he would have been like that, but there's a different way he moves through the world. So I don't think it was as big a leap for him to become a yoga teacher. It sort of made a lot of sense. And then we sort of started, I guess, having a vision for our life together. 
And I obviously knew that I needed to make big changes across all areas, not just for myself, but very much for my children, which we've spoken about in the first episode, I believe, that we chatted. And so I knew I needed to become as big as my children, and particularly my eldest child, but all of our children needed. So I knew enormous changes needed to be made. But did I know that it would look like becoming a yoga therapist? And I think even though I knew that I was going to go into some realm of fitness because I always loved to exercise, I was always active. I surfed, I did yoga, I did all of those things, you know, as the offset of my other choices Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. that kept me healthy. And I knew I wanted to expand in that area, something like that. And I was like, should I become a personal trainer? Should I... And none of it quite landed on me as being vast enough. It was all a little bit narrow. So while we're doing yoga, both my husband and I did yoga. He was doing his yoga teacher training. Why don't we just take that to that next level and both become teachers and build a studio in our yard and we'll do that. That'll keep us both closer to home rather than driving all over the place. It'll give the kids this really beautiful sanctuary with, you know, an elevation of, of people, of people wanting to come and, change and do better and be better so that will be a beautiful world for them what I didn't count on is the effect of yoga on me like I didn't account for how much it would ask of me to change Mm. particularly going into the teaching space where it's like you're carrying the you're carrying the flame of yoga as a representative for others which was probably a little bit naive for me in the beginning because I wasn't there yet. I was doing a lot of the work on myself behind closed doors, you know, like shit, you are now teaching other people this huge thing. You have to be, you have to be a good representative of yoga, which is true, but not true because of course that means anything. Now that I'm that far in, I'm much more relaxed in that, what that means because I have a fuller picture of it all. So I didn't have a clear vision. Mm. Now I do that more often. Now I check in with myself more often in terms of what do I want my life to look like now? What is my continued future dreaming for me? Because I have no fear of change. Mm. Well, I say that, but unexpected change can throw up all kinds of things. Of course, when it's our own change, it's one thing, our conscious change. But when things happen that are outside of ourselves, that can throw up a whole lot of other stirrings. But you work towards that place where hopefully when the surprises come, because they come all the time, Mm. you've got a much better relationship with change. Absolutely. So when you were Mel Bampton, (laughs) back then being Mel Bampton, partying with Metallica, would you ever have thought in your wildest dreams that you'd be Lissy Turner? Living with two pet pigs, <laughs> Tina and Hazel, doing dissolving patterns programs, hormone program, you know, all this stuff that you, the amazing work that you do and, and being an amazing yoga therapist. No, absolutely no. not. No. There is the possibility that you can be something different, that you can create something different for yourself. There are things out there that you don't even know even exist yet as mm. your potential role. In the world. Oh, I just got goosebumps. Like the, the woman on my podcast last week, Dominique Abraham, she became a professional mermaid. 
Like who even knows that that's a thing? Mm -hmm. Like she didn't even know that was a thing. But just by being involved and engaged and enthusiastic in life, this thing presented that she never even knew existed. And, And if we... That's the, I mean, the beautiful thing about sobriety of so many things is that it gives you so much more energy and time to explore this vast and rich smorgasbord that is the human life of the things that we can do and experience and become. Do we want to be trapped in one cage of self-identity for the rest of our lives? (laughs) So, no, no. And we don't all have to make enormous changes. Like I was a bit radical in that space because my life was asking for radical change. And I'm also okay to step more easily into those spaces than others. Like I can recognize that. But even how we want to refine and, and change the color of ourselves in this way and that way and just start to wash away the bars of that cage. Because there's a thing over there and there might be another thing over there and a thing over there and and it's such a it's such a freedom. It's such a freedom. So it's absolutely possible because as we were saying before, you're going to change anyway. And like you do with your students in your course, do you want to change like that? Or do you want to change like that? Mm. And if you're not involved in the change consciously, you're going like that. You're just going to keep hurtling down the path of suffering you just got to get involved in the change and Mm. and trust into something and something happens when we we make the change and we start to become more consciously aware and more an active participant in our actual life rather than just hurtling towards fuck knows where as, as you were just saying things start to open up just things open up and these good the good things start to happen and show up in life I know that was definitely the case for Ash and it's been the case for me and I think for you as well you know things if you just kind of let it go and just be open to what life's going to present when you start to do the good choices when you start to make the good choices things just start to show up and you're like wow okay I'm gonna you know I can try that Okay, so let's just say, because it's all well and good for us to sit here banging on about change and whatever, because we're years and years <laughs> away from it, you know, of the, who we were, even though we are still changing every day. But, um, you know, if someone who's listening to this, there'll be people listening, feeling so trapped in their identity that they've created and that their friends think that they are. And it is scary. I remember being there and, you know, feeling like that. And what's, what advice would you give to someone who's really in it and really is scared of changing? So the, the focus on the small changes that you can make that start to edge you closer towards the title of becoming a master of change. Mm-hmm. So because, because our patterns all work in the same way, like they're diff- for different things, like obviously the pattern that you have for brushing your teeth is different to, you know, in terms of the actions required of the body than driving a car or picking up a schooner after work and drinking that at the pub. You know, they're, they're, they're different things, but the way that the cognition works is the same. It clusters the neurons together. So you can do that thing on autopilot, which is why patterns become so dangerous. It's because they become invisible, the dangerous patterns, the negative patterns, but why... It's such an efficient neural process for all of the regular day-to-day patterns. Who wants to learn how to brush their teeth again every single time 
they go to brush their teeth. Mm. So neural conditioning or those pathways, they're there so we can be on autopilot. But it doesn't distinguish between the good and the bad. So if you're doing something that's bad for you all the time as repetition, you're sending a message to the mind that says, hey, mind, or hey, brain, this is what we do in our life. Can you cluster my neurons together so I can do this without thinking? So then we start to act just from the pattern. We don't even need to have the conscious mind involved. We've just responded from the pattern because we've wired our neurons together, clustered them together in that way. So we don't have to think in order to do the things that we do regularly. So that's just that I think that's important to know because that's actually your brain trying to work out how to make your life most efficient. Mm. And it's why so often we're responding in these ways before we've even been engaged in the process because it's written into our neural fabric. This is this action happens or this experience or event and this is how I respond which is why we become so fascinated in the spaces of any kind of deeper work of becoming deeply enthusiastic about the space between event and response Mm. because that moment starts to dissolve conditioning. So why we're trying to really become deeply engaged. So becoming the curious observer in your own life is really important. So you start to really reflect on this role of being a curious observer How can I step into this in this moment? No judgment, no need to change anything, just observing. Oh, what's going to happen now? What am I doing now? Because what that does is it immediately sort of creates a bit of a distance between the conditioning and you, the deeper you. There's a little bit of separation between the behavior of the mind and you. So it starts to extend out that space between event and response. Because what are we inserting in there? observation curiosity non-judgmental observation Mm. just enthusiastic curiosity so that's one thing exploring this role of the curious observer so the other is just with the small things is just starting to look at all of the harmless ways which you can practice change so increasing that neural elasticity (laughs) so watch the way that you sit at your dining table do you always sit in the same seat more than likely you do because you've you know, conditioned yourself to just plonk yourself there. So when you arrive at the dinner table every day, you don't go, hmm, where am I going to sit today? Your mind has made that process more efficient. But it's a harmless way to go, okay, maybe I'll sit here. So you start to soften, you know, those synapses that glue the neurons together. You start to soften those because all of a sudden you've done something different. Try brushing your teeth. If you start on the right side, start on the left side. Like start to look at all the little harmless ways. And if it's bothersome, you don't have to do it again. It's just playing. It's playing. And in all of these little ways that you can do things differently. So what you're actually focusing on is not on severing something away, but becoming a master of change, elastic and adept. So more and more things. Well, it sounds probably ridiculously simple, but when you start to build that as your conditioning, the conditioning becomes your adaptability and your deafness at change, then it doesn't matter what it is that you're dealing with. You'll be a master at that. So you won't be locked into the cage of self-identity. You're happy to do a thing over there. You're happy to do a thing over there. Somebody says, let's do this. And you're not suffering because your conditioning goes, but I do things this way. You can just be the, sure, let's do that thing over there the way that you want to do it. Okay, so if someone is like, 
sees himself as Danny the party girl and it's the weekend's coming around and, you know, your friends are expecting you to show up and be a certain way. You know, if your friends, you all drink together, usually in your husband's shed on the weekend or whatever, or, you know, in your backyard or whatever. When the weekend comes around, but you're actually wanting to kind of be someone different, then how do you show up? Well, you could, well, you could one, not show up, but that's the big, that's obviously the big one is that not show up. You could do something different, but you don't just leave space there. You just mm. don't leave, like say that would be a couple of hours on a Sunday afternoon or a Saturday that then rolls into Saturday night. So just so you know, the, the pattern is, okay, this is going to start here and I'm going to tell myself I'm only going to be here till blah, blah, but actually, in fact, you're going to be there until two in the morning or until the sun comes up. You need to insert something, a plan in that place, in place of that that's as large as that. So mm. it, it, okay, we're going camping from here to here. But this is, that's, this is the big one where you're, completely removing yourself from the situation but you need to have something as big as it's going to bring you so much joy to do in its place so something that's positive but bigger than the other so that's mm. the significant so doing something that's like so I'm just trying to break this down so for people listening so yeah it's showing up but doing something yeah that's just as great so it's not like you know sitting on you know, sitting on the couch at home on your own fucking... Feeling like a loser because you're just at home by yourself and you know everybody else is doing a thing. So you can't leave that space empty. Mm. And that's the the case of when something as enormous as drinking shows up or whatever it might be, whatever it is. Obviously, you know, we're talking about alcohol for obvious reasons here, um, but it could be with anything is that when you're trying to... First step can be of of trying to remove a negative pattern is that you need something positive but bigger than to go in its place, Mm. which is why, you know, yoga worked for me because yoga is so huge. It's so huge. And there is a tool for every occasion and every moment. But it worked for me because there's such a joy in it. There's a love in it. If it's forced, it's going to be very, very difficult to maintain. It's got to be something that really makes your heart sing in that positive direction. So just say you, you normally do this plan on the weekend. You, your big thing is, okay, I'm just not going to go. And you feel ready to challenge yourself at that level. And you're going to be able to draw yourself away to not show up because that in itself can can give rise to feelings of like, well, am I going to be you know out of my friendship group? What if I'm not there? And what if I miss out on something? You know, FOMO is very strong. Mm-hmm. So then you really need to put something significant and positive in its place. Maybe it's something that you can brag about on Facebook. <laughs> People will be like, "Oh shit, we were just we were just at the pub. Fuck, we should have gone with her." Totally. Well, that's the positive. That's the positive thing, right? Is that you can become the beacon in your group. So if you're the if you're the first in your group this. that yeah. wants to, that's the one who's going to be the pioneer within your group. It requires, of course, the most boldness and most likely you are going to get the most pull from your friends to come back into the fold, come back into your place. But the reality of it is, is that if you continue, if you, if you maintain the courage to continue, even if you've got friends within your group who are giving you maximum amount of shit for that, and that's hard, there's no denying that that can be really hard and sometimes it can be enraging, you, your change will seep into them in some way, even if it's years down the track. Mm. You might end up being the one that they come full circle around to Mm. when it's their time. 
So it's yep. not about you trying to change them. It's just you are you become the beacon, right? Yes, that's so good. And then that can become mm. your new identity for the time being, even with all of the resistance from them, even if they're saying to you, no, 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 that's not right. You just, I'm, I know that this is not just for me. This is actually, I'm the lighthouse right now. Mm. And not everybody wants a light shone on there you know, negative, continued negative behaviours, which is what people can feel when one person in the group changes and changes for the better because mm. it highlights, oh, shit, I probably shouldn't be doing this either, but I don't want to change yet. <laughs> but it's not up to you to change them, but absolutely. And you would have found it too, right? And I found it in the music industry. This full circle for me of how Mel Bampton and Lissy Turner come back to full circle is when I've got my former colleagues in the music industry, my former trash bag champions in my groups so in the music industry I've provided a place for them to land which feels safe they've ended up in your dissolving patterns programs ended up in the programs oh that's so sweet (laughs) yes that's very but it's taken a long time to be Mm. comfortable in terms of you know self-identity stuff of going oh wow I'm they're now really with me inside this realm of my world of change as it looks now Mm. and sometimes that can still drag up some stuff so when I go to chant and this is somebody that I was you know snorting lines with however many years ago and I'm going to do something like chanting which is so far away from that space Mm -hmm. but it's so normal to me now but I'm I'm that far that much further in but in the years since that's happened there's definitely been it's still reason like oh my god I'm going to chant. This is going to be so lame. They're right in front of me. They know me as this and what are they going to think? And I must say I have a bit of that. A good friend of ours, she joined one of our challenge groups. And so with Lyndall and I, it's different because we've, we've shared this journey and we've sort of grown together and that's okay. But one of our good friends joined the challenge group and when she first asked to join, I've had another couple of friends ask to join too. I'm like, absolutely not. No way. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, and this one friend, she's like, what the fuck? Why can't I join? And like, and I, was, I had to really sit with it in myself. I just felt so uncomfortable because that's part, probably when a bit of old Danny shows up, that kind of old identity. Yeah, it's really interesting what can stir and which is also important. It's really nice when you're strong enough in it. It's really nice to have those opportunities to see what's still there because mm-hmm. you can surround yourself with people who are you know, very much on the same journey as you are, which can again, it can almost create like a new cage of self-identity that you have to be watchful of to make sure Mm. that you're not so falling into Mm. this realm. And what I found for me very personally, this is outside of the therapist thinking or or my yoga sutra studies or any of that is that what I found just on a really personal level is that because I did sort of this extreme where I, I, had this life and it looked like that and then I really because I dive in that's how I operate though I do dive very deeply into a thing whatever it might be that I'm doing but because it was across all aspects it was very thorough into this very big lateral step but of course those threads were always within me but I did very much almost take Mel Bampton hostage and hide her for a long time, which is why it would have been difficult for some people to relate as opposed to Lissy Turner because everything almost that they had 
related to me about wasn't there anymore, not even my name. I moved locations, changed jobs, gave up everything that was, you know, toxic for me, changed my name. So where do they get a handle? Where do they get some purchase on all of that? Because all of a sudden it's like I'm this completely new person, a stranger. So I I get that. So it was quite extreme. And now what I'm finding, but it's taken me probably because I'm, you know, this might be a slow learner in this space. I had to go to one extreme to really commit to that space. But now what I find, you know, just more than a decade in is a lot more coming back to centre across the board. Mm. Now I feel a lot more neutral part of me. I could be, you know, Lissy Bampton. Mm. Probably still couldn't be Mel Turner. I could be Mel Bampton. I could be Lissy Turner. But, and that's all neither here nor there. They were the things that I needed to create the kind of extensive change that was required for myself and my family. Mm. And now there's a more coming back to centre where mm. all of the life but without the shitty old habits is kind of merging. So it's like all the best of Mel Bampton mm. and all the best of Lissy Turner, still, you know, extensive shit bits as well, but it's coming together as a much fuller picture which feels mm. so much more like a liberating space. Mm. And that's just the journey of change is forever, forever evolving. But that was just my personal experience. You know, so it's that thing of if it's difficult along the way, that genuinely means that you're right in the thick of extensive change that's happening inside. You're in process. Mm. When it feels the hardest is when you're actually in process. The, the deepest work is happening when it feels the most uncomfortable. So we don't want to insert ourselves into those spaces of discomfort. But when they're there, it's not, it's not a bad space. It's actually you in process. So then what do I need to do? What do I need to adjust to become comfortable again? What new positive things do I need to either draw up from within me or bring into my daily routine to become comfortable again at that next level of me, always leveling up, leveling up. Mm. There's something in, in what you just said that being in it and being in that process, it's so essential to change. It's like you have to have a winter to have the new growth, even though winter can seem like it will drag on forever and all the, you know, all the leaves have fallen off the trees. And, and did you find that when you first gave up drinking that, you know, we, did you really feel that you were really ready at that time? Or did you really feel that there was some very strong fortitude required? Hmm. A bit of both, I think. There was definitely because I'd wanted it for so long. And and then when I got to that time of doing a year off, but remember, it was only ever going to be a year off. So it was just like... It was, you had a deadline. Yeah, yeah. So that made it easier. If, if Perhaps if I had gone into that first year just going, I'm never drinking again, I don't think I, I probably would have lasted. So... Yeah, very different for for you and I. Did you think you were ever going to drink again? I mean, no, even... never. All right, so never. you had that, yeah. So I, I, yeah, I didn't, but I did know that I wanted to change, and I was sick to death of who, you know, the waking up and hating myself and all that stuff. I was so sick of that. I wasn't ready to let go of Danny the party girl yet because I didn't know that there was. I didn't know that who... there was so much more to Danny. Yeah, I thought that was it. I thought that was pretty much me in a nutshell 
which is just so, oh God. And so for people listening, if you feel like you're kind of in that and you don't know how to change or you don't know how to break out of this old way of being, just have that faith like you were talking about, Lissy, earlier. Just have some faith in that there is so much more and there's so much more to you than just you as the party person or you as this daily drinker who needs it to get through. There's so much more to you. And if you just have that faith and take the little steps, like you were saying, we see little small steps or perhaps big steps, you know, however that looks for you, just to get toward a bit more of the change and have that faith that there is so much more to you. We're just... And and feeding the things that are the beautiful things in your life. Mm. Like, so rather than just focusing on what am I taking away, what am I giving up? Because we all... You know, if you've done a, if you've gone down that path of sobriety and stayed there, I think everyone would say it's so, you know, rich and, and it just opens up the world to you, like you were saying before. Mm. And, but rather than focusing on the severing away of something that I'm getting rid of, feed the things that you really enjoy, grow them bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger until there's no more space for the other and it just falls away. You know, whether that's big or small things. And I often use the analogy of our project that we're doing now, the Prana Project, is about this idea that the way that we can really heal people is through this reconnection to our place in the world around us, like the natural world, that we actually have an active role, human beings, in the natural world. And the natural world needs us in order to thrive. When I look out across my you know, the 30-acre paddock that is the headquarters of the Prana Project, the Prana Farm, it's degraded agricultural land. You know, that's why we're there, to see how can we, can we create a lush paradise there. So change needs to happen. Change is going to happen anyway. But we can be involved in the change and steer it in the direction that we want or we can just leave it and it will continue to propagate more than likely the weeds that are already there. So then I look at it and I can I see all the weeds that exist. Do I want to spend all of my time in that 30 acres pulling out weeds? Or do I want to spend my time planting the things that I want to be there so that they grow and take up all the space that the weeds had previously been taking up? Pew. I know how I want to spend my life. Yes, mate. <laughs> you nailed it. Fuck yeah. <laughs> We're just, we're just fist bumping in here, air punching. <laughs> Where the fuck did you pull that from? That was in, that was amazing. Yes. Uh, oh, covered in goosebumps. <laughs> oh, good. Amazing. Good. Do I want to spend time fucking pulling out weeds every fucking Sunday? Or do I want to just start adding in the good stuff? Oh, yes. That's why you're so good. I know that's... that's... <laughs> It's very good having this sort of practical and, and that's the whole thing with the farm, right? It's like this and that's the next evolution of change for us. We're on a freaking farm with these two fucked up pigs. <laughs> just fucking wreak havoc in my life. And oh, now- my God. Can I just say if anyone's not following you on Instagram, get on and follow Lissy's Instagram because just the stories about the pigs alone. <laughs> Tina, who we've nicknamed Fuck's Sake Tina. That's her nickname. Even the kids, Fuck's Sake Tina. She's always somewhere. I found her the other day. She's like a 180 kilo pig who's part of our Regen project. Again, you know these moments when we're talking about change and self-identity? 
every single time I go out and I'm with those pigs, I think, how the fuck did I get here? I know. Talk about the places that you don't foresee Ooh. that I would have these. I don't know anything about pigs. I mean, I know something now across the last six months. I know that they're wily and they escape and there's nothing you can do about directing them back to where they need to be until they decide because they're huge. And I'm, but the, I'm out there and I'm just like, my gosh, what the what what is this crazy life? If you had have stayed on that on that path of Melbampton, you know, and that seems so attractive to some people. Celebrity hanging out with rock stars, partying, you know, that seems so glamorous as opposed to over here, yoga therapist hanging out with your pigs, regenning the land. Seems it's I mean they're so vastly different. Tell me how you feel about those two different lives. I loved that life and I would be lying if I said that sometimes I didn't think, what am I doing? Which is why the podcast is such a gift because it gives me some middle ground, not middle ground, it gives me, taps me back into some of that which I love. Mm. I love all the other things as well. But the cost of the other life was too great. Yeah. It's it's really weighing up, isn't it? Sometimes, you know, there's two great avenues and both of these paths. And I can see when people feed back to us, there's such a rich interest in both. And I guess because they are quite the, the extreme ends of things, because I, that's how I tend to go. And understanding that that's part of my nature that I need to wield to keep whatever I'm doing, even if the path might seem a bit extreme, how do I find you know, some moderation or sweet spot within it? So I don't become too extreme in myself in whatever I'm doing because I love to find the ends of things mm. and to be measured in the pace of the journey. But the other, the other way as it was, the cost was too high. And strangely, this is, this is something that I've, you know, that has come up for me. I feel the stirrings of that really large part of my self I, I have actually had rejected music almost wholly for the last decade mm. because it stirred it stirred like it stirred a, a bad memories it was triggering for the kind of absent parent even though I loved my particularly my eldest because she was with me for the most of that it triggered a lot of well where was I we've spoken about this in length before so it was associated with parts of my life that I felt uncomfortable with, which I'm making much more peace with now. You know, at the beginning when you said, you know, introduced me as the trash bag of the highest order, ex-trash bag, you know, that's quite funny to me now. But for a long time that would have, it could be quite painful because it would, mm. it would stir, oh, my God, that's right. Like I can laugh about it now, but that was a great cost, particularly to my eldest daughter. And when I listen to music now, because my children are all at that age, if I'm really deeply getting into it in the car, I can feel the stirrings of that really big part of my personality that wants to unleash at the highest order, that wants to just be out there, just, you know, doing all the big things. Not not drinking and drug taking, even though I sometimes in those moments when the music is stirring, something really big inside of me, which is why I loved it. 
It made it so big, made life big. That's what music does, right? It creates a soundtrack, creates an enormity of life. It puts the amplifier on whatever that you're doing in that moment when you're listening to a particular song or going to a gig. Or So it's been interesting to witness that still as my children have brought music back into my life that I feel something rising within me, which is just like, oh, I've just got to break out of everything. I've just got to go and and be huge out in the world again. I want to be huge. That's who I am. And and then I think, well, what does that actually look like? What does that look like for a sober you? What does that look like for your family? How could you do that in a new way? How can I do it in a new way is the way that Lissy Turner is doing it. I would be, I absolutely want to grow the podcast to something that takes people to the richest ends of stories. And that big part of me dreams about it reaching like millions of people so everyone can hear these rich stories. And Lissy Turner has this, can have this glory or I can feel that attraction to that is big in me. But the safe, the, the beautiful, rich, progressive place is where I am, but also honoring those big, diverse parts of myself now in a new positive way. Mm. So it's still, I guess the point of all of that is that it's still, stuff still stirs. Someday to the point of like, I want to run away and join the circus. <laughs> I want to be, I want to be at the extreme ends of things again. I want to get my neck tattooed. <laughs> I don't think I've ever thought that, but that's an example. Um, and then it's like, well, you know that those most extreme ends of you, they need to be channeled into positive ways. So what does that need to look like? It's a really long wordy answer that I don't even know completely answered your question. But it's just interesting in this space reflecting on the stuff that still comes and it's not necessarily going to be free of those reflections and on some days still wanting, dreaming of like this or that. But then when you really break it down into reality, it's like, well, what would that actually look like? That life would look like you being away from your family again. Or even working the kinds of hours that you don't want to be working, like under somebody else's editorial policies. Mm. Actually, I don't want that. I want freedom. I want to be working on the project of me first and foremost and letting everything else grow from there quite naturally from the positive space. I can relate to that too, where sometimes you get that staring of like, oh, I just want to like let loose a bit. It's always that same thing. Okay, what does that actually look like? if I do that and that's part of being okay with this this change and I think you raised a really important thing that you said earlier was what's the cost of of not changing and so thinking about that if anyone's listening and they're worried about how you know what it's going to be like if they change and they don't show up as the person they've always been thinking about what's the cost of staying that way what does it mean for you is it a health wise is it losing your family is it just waking up with anxiety every fucking weekend for the next decade. How mm. does that look? You know, just to be rid of that and allowing that to move out so that something else great can come in in its place because there's nothing better than not waking up with anxiety every weekend or a few oh times a gosh. week. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. It's such an awful feeling and I feel like it's only just started to fade for me in the last few years. Well, probably the first five or or so years, I still had moments where I was waking up and going, (gasps) Mm. what's happened? 
I what have, have I done? And then go, yeah. oh, I don't drink anymore. I've yeah. done nothing. Yeah, I had that for quite a while afterwards. But I would say this, and I think you and I can both say this, that it feels so huge at the time when you're about to make the change or when you're in the process of changing, when you're in the process of it, like what you were saying. But get some time under your belt and get that separation from it. And you kind of look back and think, what's I worried about? This life is so good. And, and thinking about too, when you're in that, that big crossroad of, well, what is it that you actually want to keep from there? What is it that you're attached to in all of that? Mm. And break that down. And if it's things like, oh, it's my friendships or it's my, you know, the, the fun or it's the adventure or it's, and then, and then look at all of those elements or whatever they might be for you and go, well, can I get those things anyway? And of course the answer is going to be yes. It's always yes. It's always yes, and you. but they're so much better because you can have all the things without the negative offset of them. Mm-hmm. And when you have to create all of that stuff in a new way, so say like one of my goals was, which I've just remembered in this moment, was coming to a place with my sobriety where I would be so healthy that I could just stay up all night and shit talk with my mates because I just had such amazing, healthy, sustained energy. Mm. So what would it look like to get there? What do I need to change in my whole physical experience, my whole physiological experience to have this sort of bubbling life force that I could just stay up all night and just shit talk with my mates if I wanted to without drinking because so much about drinking is the sustainability, right, that it gives you the endurance to go through a whole night with the sugars and all the rest of it mm. to, to continue to be on that adventure. And so I set that as a bit of a, a, bit of a goal. And it, that in itself, having that as one of the goals, started to arrange so many different elements of my life that I had to address to have sustainable energy that, didn't, that wasn't fueled by sugar or wasn't fueled by booze or, or, or whatever. And so that created something else that I could work towards that was better than than anywhere I'd ever been and then the funny thing is is that you come to a place where you're actually so at peace at going to bed at nine (laughs) that you get so fit and healthy and then you also go to bed at nine which is amazing (laughs) it's so true yes yeah so it's all the unexpected change it's like you saying I'm going to give up for a year but then of course within a year so much has changed about you that was unforeseeable for the good that you get to the end of a year and that's not even there anymore. That's the kind of benchmark that you needed to have in place to be able to make the changes. But just by getting involved in the change, mm. you didn't even need that one-year deadline anymore. No. And the one big scary part for me was when we got to the end of the year and then making that decision, I'm actually not going back. That was fucking scary too because that was like, okay, now, now the identity actually changes because I was able to hide in this – I'll be back in a year. Don't worry. <laughs> then it was like telling the friends and telling the family, actually, I'm not going back. Ooh, and that, my bum would go tight. <laughs> telling my friend Lisa, when she was just hanging for me to get to the end of the 12 months. And then, you know, with my tight little sphincter, I was like, <laughs> no, nah, not going back. I bet your butt's so much more relaxed now across all areas of life. <laughs> You're just like, oh, I'm just loving this life without all that anxiety. My sphincter's so loose. <laughs> well, yeah, mostly. 
Oh, yeah. Anyway, I could really go to some places with that, but I won't. <laughs> but alcohol kept uh, something that you said earlier too, but just sparked something in me. Just I just remember that alcohol was keeping my life so small, even though it felt so big and large. And you know, when you think when you're in it and you're thinking this is it, it it's not. And life gets so much bigger without it if you allow yourself to change. Yeah, it's so interesting that, isn't it? Because it's literally like when you're looking through the bottle, it, it intensifies everything in the moment because it makes everything large, everything big when you're drinking in the moment. So it feels like there's an enormity, but it's actually a lie. Like so if people are watching from the outside, say aliens coming down and they're watching, they're not going to be seeing much of any interest whatsoever in a house that's just full of 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 well, full of you, me, in that drunk version of myself, I might feel like it's so large and whatnot, but that's just the magnification of intensity, right, that comes with alcohol. Mm-hmm. But then it destroys almost every day that follows. So your life is cut in half or, or your life is cut in two-thirds, time-wise or time spent feeling amazing. It's just – it's and it keeps unfolding. That's the extraordinary thing is that it's just – it just keeps – The vastness of possibility, of richness of the world itself as it is, with a clear lens, not looking through the booze, it just keeps unfurling. And the things that were played, downplayed to small size outside of booze, because booze makes everything feel so intense, that looked so ordinary outside of that, you just start to realise that everything is extraordinary. You know, even though you put in a post, I think yesterday or recently about just the turning a light switch on, mm. turning a light on through a switch. It's like, you know, even with full understanding of electricity, it's just like far out. That is extraordinary. It's amazing. And that's, that's just a man-made construct or a human-made construct. All the things that exist in the natural world that are right outside our doors, even tiny little suburban yards or in a little pot plant it's just like well there's a billion microbes living in that soil right there or on my skin or you know just keep expanding and expanding into this space of moreness Mm -hmm. and it just gets bigger and bigger so life becomes so expanded when you get rid of the alcohol and trust us and we both know fucking hell if anyone's the poster woman of changing your life it's you but, you know, it's it's so much richer and it's so beautiful on the other side. So there's nothing wrong with changing your label. There's nothing wrong with changing your self-identity. You don't have to stay the same. Believe us, you absolutely don't have to. There's a, a huge you underneath that story, the hugest part of you. In fact, if we looked at, you know, the way that the yoga context writes it is that the body, breath and mind are only 1% of your constitution. Which means there's an entire 99% underneath that body, breath and self-identity that is being contained by the 1%. It's being contained. So if you just start to softly blow that away, the stories of self-identity, just blow it away softly, kindly on the breeze, what you're going to be unleashing in terms of the fullness of you is beyond, it's beyond comprehension until you sort of start to live it and be there. So again, it comes down to that trust, but also you lean into people who are a little bit further down the track in your community. So look to the people who inspire you 
So making sure that you've always got those people who are a little further along. So when your trust wavers, you can already see, you can see the proof and you can spend time with them or listen to them, which is why, you know, your podcast is so important because it really, it creates community. So people know, like, actually, there's a whole world of human beings out there that are, are aiming to do or are trying to do what I'm doing right now. I'm not alone in this. And then there's the stories of the people who are further down the track that you can really tune into to go, okay, all right, this is on the wobbly days. I can just drop my shoulders, relax, fall into this feeling of trust, whatever that might be. Particularly, like you said before, Danny, the trust of your own capacity, mm. the trust of the enormity of your own expertise mm. to wield your own life and to make the decisions for you that are best for you. And then when you're wobbly, you lean into the stories of those who are a little bit further down the track than you are and, and go, okay, well, what, do I, what can I take from this? How can I implement that in the way that suits me? Mm, absolutely. And that was one of the things I would do, you know, to look towards you, I, I guess, particularly towards the end of that year. It's, it's so true, you know, leaning into other people that have been there before before you and they're everywhere there's such a great community they're everywhere now yeah it's all I mean they're everywhere you know all over Instagram and everything and if you can't find anyone that's like I talk often about Victoria Vanstone's platform Kappa she's got this amazing free platform people can go on cost nothing you know even I didn't do AA but that's another community as well that's free that's out there there's a lot of places that you can reach out and find someone or you know message someone on instagram everyone's so willing to help there's so many people that are willing to help and there might even be people who are so close in your sphere that are either already sober and you don't even know yeah because you just assume that everybody drinks like you do Mm. and but they're already either sober but you've never noticed before or they're right there on that cusp as Mm. well and they were just waiting for somebody else to go hey let's let's do this yeah, they want to hang out. Hey, and I want to just go, there's two things I want to go back on before we finish up. But that one point you made too about, I love that, like do something fucking huge on the weekend. So the weekend's coming around. And if you're worried about getting FOMO, I love this. What you said, actually give everyone else fucking FOMO. <laughs> fucking go and I think do that was something. your idea, but I think it's so, it's so good. Just go and do something awesome that you can rig it, you know, brag about to people and and, you know do something really cool yeah where you come back from and you just look amazing you might not even need to say anything but you are just exuding this yes this aliveness yeah and then that's because that's that's really the big thing right like if you want to be that pioneer in your group or even if that's not even your motivation but knowing that if you're the first one you will be that you'll be that beacon whether other people will admit it or not Um, or whether they even know what to do with sober you or not. As you start to change and you are exuding this different, you know, physicality, this different clarity, this Mm. beautiful skin and hair and clear eyes and Mm. all the rest of it, and not to mention just all the fluid that naturally just falls away when the body's not trying to protect itself from toxicity, Mm. just as you move through the world, just being you, this new changing you in that direction of positivity, you're going to be impacting people in ways that you will never, ever know. True. Yeah, absolutely. Even strangers. Yeah. You just move through and just be amazing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't be the same. 
Don't be the same. No one wants the same. And so it's only one person that can be you. Yeah. And we're all here for a reason, which is obviously the biggest reason is to work on the project of ourselves. But when we don't allow ourselves to step fully into that because of our fears and then all the symptoms of those fears of which alcohol can be one of, it impacts the whole bigger weave of the world because we're here to be us. And we're obviously here to just grow and change. We don't need to beat ourselves up if we're not there yet because it's, we're constantly changing. But just knowing that your place is precious and it's necessary. It's necessary because, you know, we all understand, I think, that we're intricately tied together. So, if, of course, if we're, if we're making positive changes on ourselves, that's going to have this subtle, potentially growing into potent ripple effect that affects the broader world. Mm-hmm. Whether we know it or not, that is just the reality. Yeah. Yeah, Absolutely. Just that other thing you said earlier at the very start of just letting go of all that story of who I am. Like, let the fucker go. Let it go. Let it go. Let it go. You do not have to be this thing that you've created anymore or this whole story about it. Just, you don't have to be that. That is just utter bullshit. And it is just a story. So imagine what life would be like without that story. How does that feel to imagine life without you or how you've been in the past? What would it actually be like for me? to let go of this label of perhaps I have to be the party person every weekend. How does that feel inside me to actually imagine myself just letting that go? To me, that seems peaceful. I mean, to others that might feel feel, fearful right now, but just ask the question, Mm. what would it be like to be something different? See what that response is inside. Mm. I had this yoga teacher a few years ago and she used to say this thing at the end of a yoga class, which I took on board here and there. You know, when you're laying at the end or you're sitting at the end, you've done a big practice and some things have changed within you. So you're different always at the end of a conscious practice than you even were at the start. And remembering Mm. that you're changing conscious breath and conscious movement with each and every, every one of them. So of course, when you do a conscious practice at the end, you're different than when you began. She used to say this thing of, um, you know, we were just kind of letting it all go, but also absorbing the work that we've done, that there's, there's nowhere to be. There's no one to be. She used to say this thing and, and, you know, often in the yoga space we say some pretty wanky things. and But she used to say that and it really, something in it that really just always settled but also it, it invoked this inquiry of this deeper no one to be. What does this, what does this like mean? But it would always also come with this feeling of like, oh, that's right, right now. While I'm laying here or seated in this room and everyone's got their eyes closed. That I don't have, there's no, there's no me. I don't have to be any part of me because Mm. no one's talking to me. No one's even looking at me. Mm. But then even when everybody opens their eyes and then talks to me, why do I always have to straight away go back into this other thing, whatever that is? What if I just keep exploring this idea of no one to be? Mm. Just actually arriving at places and seeing how I can meet anyone who's there in front of me Mm. where they're at Mm. rather than have to show up as me and take up the space of me. I'm still there in this beautiful other sort of way, but how can I just be a little less whatever, Mm. a little less story and just be whatever the person in front of me needs me to be in that moment? 
But is Amazing. that making is that making sense? Love that. I try that practice often because I notice sometimes if I'm with my, I get excited and I feel my energy go up, but that's not what I actually want. And so I'll try and ground back in, and I just use my breath. Or Mark Purser, um, who's been on this podcast a couple of times, he's an amazing yoga teacher as well. And he said, you know, even if you just do this one, where you bring you, yeah, bring. How do you? What do you call this? Mudra. I don't yeah. know what the name of that mudra is, but you bring your thumb and your index finger together. Yeah, yeah. just as a reminder of, you know, your intention or what you want to – and that's – I've found that really worked for me at mm. times. Um, if I'm with a group of people or something, I'll just, you know, have the the pointer finger and the thumb together like that. It's just a little reminder to stay grounded. And, and the beautiful thing when you've got a tool – you when you've got a tool like that is that when as well you bring it into your conscious practices, so say you've got a morning – yoga practice or you sit and you do some breathing you take that that same gesture whatever it might be for you but you take that same gesture so then what it becomes connected to is the deeper work so then when you do it out in the world in motion so there's stuff going on in the world around you you're actually in life as soon as you do that it's like the Pavlov's dog Mm -hmm. you know the creation of a patterned response so where does it take you to it takes you to the you that sits on the mat in the morning so it creates an immediate transportation to that energy so you can empower that even further and mm. to have those little tools that you come that come with you in the course of your life and nobody even knows that you're doing them. No, no one knows. It's a great little anchor. Mm. Um, speaking of, the other night when we were on the call with the graduates group, you had this great little – I was saying to you this morning, I've been doing it every day since. How can we explain – so if any, for people listening, this is a great little move that you can do. Unless you're driving. Please don't do this if you're driving. <laughs> no, don't do it while you're driving. But can, you it's, ex- can you take us through this and just explain it? There's a, just It's really simply just taking the arms wide but just lower than shoulder height. So if you start with your hands, say, on your lap or your knees, mm-hmm. and we, if you can coordinate it with an in-breath, it's even better because the in-breath motion of the spine is expansion. So it's naturally creating length in the spine, the inhale. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like you can breathe you take that motion of the breath and then that gross movement of the arms is extending out from the breath so that's the way to kind of get the peak out of it but it's really just taking the arms out to the side as you inhale just lower than shoulder height and the little extra bit at the end is having the palms facing up so that creates a little bit more external rotation of the shoulders opening of the heart and then as you exhale just bring the hands back down to your lap So there where the hands are on the lap as well with the palms facing down, consciously acknowledging the warmth and the texture of your own body. So so it's kind of, it's, I mean, it's so simple, those things, but there's, I mean, everything, everything actually that's the deeper is simple. It's all simple, but there's nothing that the mind cannot complicate, which is one of my teacher's (laughs) favorite expressions. It's nothing that the mind cannot complicate. But that beautiful in-breath, taking the arms wide like you're unfurling your big eagle wings. And that exhale mm. that brings the arms back and the hands to rest on your thighs or your knees. It just gives you that bit of enlivenment. I mean, explore it for you. I don't want to put adjectives out there, but just I do that, so I don't good. know, 10 times a day throughout my day. It's Particularly really if I feel myself with that you know, restriction in the chest that starts to come in mm. with any of life's whatever. I just take that and I can wash that out I think it goes really nicely with this thought of change for me it's sort of like expansion so if maybe if that fear is coming up in someone for people listening perhaps you're thinking about this weekend and maybe showing up differently maybe do this move is it got a name arms wide asana (laughs) 
don't know. Sounds like my white arsenal. <laughs> no, <they're... laughs> That's can, you, so good. can you do this one on your Instagram account and so everyone can... Um... See, it's funny. Like I, I so often don't do the really simple things because I think, oh, that's too simple. But they're actually the things oh. that are the most practical that when you just implement them, like you with that mudra, bringing the index finger and the thumb tips yeah. together yeah. and um, as that anchor to like, okay, my intention is I'm grounding here. I'm drawing my energy down. I, I, it makes you present. Yeah. And so this gesture of opening the arms is in the opposite direction of fear. Fear closes mm. us off. It shuts mm. us down. It closes off the heart. So we start to lead with the head instead of the heart space. And it's the simple changing of the scaffolding of the body. That's all. It's really where we're not afraid to yeah. take up space, but you're doing it in this beautiful, graceful way. I'm, mm. I'm here to I'm here to take up the space that my body fulfills because that's this is my body, this is my space, and I'm doing it in this beautiful, graceful, meaningful way, making sure that there's no one standing too close to you, so don't poke their eye out. <laughs> but it's in the opposite direction of fear. Mm. So as things rise, you just take that simple gesture, and it gives you just that kind of like this little power pellet mm. of empowerment oh can please people if you're standing in the supermarket line just i dare you to do it i just dare you <laughs> people are going what the fuck is she on just do it i've been doing it down in the sunrise but people see me doing all sorts of weird shit not in this shire not in people would be like mm, yeah that's not weird enough actually <laughs> look at that really straight thing that danny's doing over there <laughs> weirdo <laughs> Anyway, give it a go. Give it a go. And I'm trying to think of a good segue because I've just realized now I've got you here too to talk about the the show, the live show we've got coming up. Oh my gosh, I'm so excited in November that, you know, messages from the bottle is like this. I feel like it's like an evolution in sobriety. Yeah, and I don't think I've really talked about it much on the podcast yet. What are you doing, Danny? I know, I know. Quick, quick advert. Well, do you want to do the advert or me? It's, nah. it's your like, it's your baby. Well, no, here. So, I guess it, the whole thing stemmed from um, that vagina conversations that we've both been part of, which something Zenith puts on, and the way that we all, everyone sat around on the stage and shared their vagina story, but to share their story. And I've always thought since then, it's a, something has always been tugging at me to do this, but with the alcohol story and to inspire, and then. I guess I'd spoken to you, you and I had spoken about it ages ago about doing some kind of live show and I mentioned it to Vic, Vic Vanstone and then one of my grads, Shell, she said that she was thinking about doing something, a live thing as well and it just all came together. I was like, right, this needs to happen. I need to pull the trigger on this one and so we've got all said people and some Jamie Milne who's been on this podcast, Lyndall, Ash, who else is in there? You, Libby O'Donovan, an amazing cabaret performer. She's awesome. It's going to be so, and Libby and I have, and Ash have written a song. Oh, I can't wait. Oh my God, this <laughs> song is, I love this song. And, um, and Libby and I are still working on some songs together. We wanted, it's not going to be like a full music show. So it's mostly talking, but. Um, but even starting to hear, so what's happening at the moment behind the scenes is that those of us who are performing or presenting in the show are just starting to share a few ideas. And so they're starting to come in on the group email and it's just got so much diversity already I to know. it and richness of story. And there'll be, without doubt, there'll be, there'll absolutely be laughs yeah. and there will absolutely be tears yeah. and probably from quite a few of us too up yeah. on the stage. And, yeah. and um, that shared experience of going, you know what, we've got this, you've got this. Mm. If, so for you listening, the show is the encapsulation of that, just like this podcast is, is to say to you that, that you've got this, 
But when you don't, when you fuck it up, it's also okay is to really smile at yourself and go, all right, okay, we're just going to keep dusting off and keep going and keep trying. And that exists in a lot of the stories as well, I'm sure, for all of us who are going to be taking the stage in Byron in November for this show, Messages mm. from the Bottle, because we're human, right? We, mm. It can take so many slaps across the face, across mm. the ass, mm. to go, I think you probably need to make some changes before it finally seeps in. Mm. So you're not alone in that. And I'm sure those stories are going to come out in the show itself and and mm. and oh my God, the gravity of the things that we've had to experience before we finally decided that it was actually okay to make change in that direction, to give up the story of alcohol. And then all of the other shitty stories that are also written into that. Mm. So, yes, November 15th. The Byron Community Centre. I've got, you've got links to, uh, I think all of the cast members have got links in their bio to buy tickets but it's definitely in my bio you can go to Byron Community Centre if you I've got I know that some people are flying up to come just for it you know flying up from Melbourne some from Sydney get a ticket get on a plane come up make it a weekend in Byron it's going to be really awesome it's going to be amazing like this this is a, this is change embodied right just to, to come to a point where there's this stage show this theatre show coming together that is actually a celebration of sobriety yeah. 11 years ago, when I first gave up drinking, it was a very lonely space. It was a very lonely space. And it yeah. probably, there was probably a lot more people out there who were sober or thinking about going sober. But because the conversations weren't happening, it was like you almost kept it quiet. You know, you filled up your alcohol bottles with something else. And, you mm. know, that was non alcoholic, but just so people wouldn't be on your case. Or, and I know some people still feel or have to do that or feel they have to do that in their friendship groups. But now, there's, like you said before, there are so many people really embracing. Imagine it's like we're rewriting what had become synonymous with Australian culture, this terrible part of Australian mm. culture, and it's being rewritten. So cool. So good. So oh my God, good. Amazing. Also, Heaps Normal and Monday Distillery are donating drinks as well. So we'll be, I don't know in what, like, whether we'll give them away at the door. We haven't figured that part out yet. <laughs> details, details. There'll be good stuff. <laughs> There'll be good stuff there, there. So, yeah, come buy a ticket. And, yeah, we're just so excited. And you get to meet all of us. <laughs> and we get to meet all of you. That's what's going to be yeah. so cool yeah. is just see the faces of people who are like there's going to be people at all different parts of their sober journey. Yeah, and they're all different. So, you know, like, like you know, Jamie Milne, who's just an amazing speaker and he's very inspiring, is just like done, like got a world record for like doing 20 million sit-ups or something like that, chin-ups or, you know, and Ash. And, what a weapon. I know. And then just, you know, just everyday people as well. And if this works out well, if this show goes well, we'd like to tour it and pick up different cast members in different places. And I think it's just... It's got, you know, such great potential to just inspire people. And like you say, like changing this, the way that, that we think that we need to be and embracing change and a celebration of change. And coming back to that initial fear of change that we talked about at the beginning and all the way through is these are the moments that you could never have foreseen in making the decisions to shift certain things in your life, whatever are the patterns that are holding you in the cage. Mm. And because they've evolved out of something, you could never have planned at the beginning of your sober journey to go, 
oh, this is what's going to be happening in however many years down the track. Mm. But it's the natural evolution of the funnel of positivity. You're starting right at some little point of change and Mm. it just grows and grows and grows and it just builds and builds and builds and evolves and expands Mm. until you're doing a bloody stage show. I know. About your journey of change. It's just crazy. You just never know what's around the corner. And the creativity, like Libby Libby O'Donovan and I were talking the other day, just all this creativity. Like I know she's got so much going on and, you know, since she's become sober and she's just writing and making amazing music and she's in incredible. Like she's a, you know, she listens to every podcast, so I'm also sucking up to her a bit. <laughs> You know, she critiques. Hi, Libby. Hi, Lib. She's going to be on here soon. I'm going to see um, some of the Adelaide crew, the Adelaide grads. Ash is playing over in, in Adelaide. So I'm going to go with him and meet up with some of the crew and do a podcast interview with Libby. Hopefully a couple of other people as well. So, um, yeah, but she critiques every podcast and then sends me a big, like, eight-minute long thing about her uh, her review of each podcast. <laughs> Glad you didn't tell me that at the beginning. <laughs> I'll let you know what she Would says. Would nervous? <laughs> I want to say one thing coming back to a really practical thing. So I say something practical that coming back to for the speaking to you, if you are right at that, you know, you're at the crossroads of wanting to make some big changes is how you, I've spoken about the small things, but the importance of your routines, your daily routines, and they don't have to be, don't look to anyone else for that. Just look to how you can zhuzh your daily routine across all aspects in small ways or big ways if you're ready, if you're comfortable making sure that you're not creating tension because if you create tension, you'll go backwards. But in a way that's comfortable for you to refine just simply your routine across your whole day. Mm. So it might be the time that you go to bed at night could be refined to then how you have a relationship with food throughout the day, just eating when you hear the communication of hunger from your body. I've got to work on that. I might join your next dissolving prog- <laughs> patterns program just to work on carbs. It's a good one. We do, do a lot on carbs? food. We do a lot on food. Yeah. I mean, do I do carbs? I do carbs. <laughs> I love a carb. And um, I need a carb for fuel. So it's having about a good relationship with carbs. Mm-hmm. Can't be saturated in carbs. But they are necessary. And, the, you know, whatever other elements across your day that you can gently zhuzh, mm. but particularly first thing in the morning particularly first thing in the morning, we've spoken about this before, is very, very significant because it gets your head right, it gets your body right. So talking about Mm. conscious processes Mm. of moving your body, doing some good breathing, being in the role of the curious observer to check in how you are today and to consciously recalibrate your attitude if required. So to Mm. decide the quality in which you want to move through that day. Yes. Not just be victim to it, but just decide. So if the mind's carrying on like a numbat, well, you can just go, I see you, you cute little furry little thing. Get back over here. This is how we are today. Come on, come on back. But this is how we're going to be. We're not going to be doing that today. We're going to be, and we're lovingly doing that. We're not trying to reef the mind back like it's an enemy because it will fight. It's lovingly, come on, come back here. We're doing joy today or we're doing hilarity today or we're doing silly or light or we're just doing neutral but constant uh, consciously involved in the recalibration of your own attitude so first thing in the morning move your body breathe 
reflect, be the curious observer. How am I today? And then decide. Yeah, that's so good. And just decide like, well, when I set an intention in the morning, usually be to, you know, bring in more joy or bring in happiness or today I decide to be happy. My daughter Sunny says to me most mornings, what kind of day are you going to have today? (laughs) But even if you oscillate away from it, like Mm. you said, that it doesn't last, what it does is it gives you a reference point throughout the day, even Mm. subconsciously, Mm. to see why and when it becomes absent. Yeah. So what's taking me away from that that I set as an intention this morning. Oh, that thing. Yes. Oh, that thing. Yeah. So it makes the things that destroy that or remove that be more apparent. So it's not just a goal of being like a, you know, a smiling grinning monkey all day if you decide unhappy. It's just to use it as a reference point to when you oscillate as well away from it. Sometimes you can I like often will write it down. And put it on my fridge or put it in, on the bench, say, like I'll write my intention down. So it's a little reminder to me when I do start to sway and not to kind of wrap myself across the knuckles, but to just be like, oh, that's right. <laughs> I'm happy. <laughs> Hi, kids. Smile, motherfucker. <laughs> there is such a dance in there oh. that's really important to remember. Yeah. It's This is the goal, yeah. which brings me back to my favorite expression, which is just to hold everything lightly. So you can be fully 100% committed because that's how we want to be, right? We want to be absolutely in the diligence of this thing whilst simultaneously holding the goal lightly Yeah. because otherwise what happens? We go into tension and then we can go into self-loathing and then we blah, blah, blah. But if we're 100% diligent but then the mind becomes distracted, which you can do in an instant, Mm -hmm. we're over there and we're like, oh, shit. (laughs) <laughs> I'm all the way over there. I'm supposed to be all the way over there. We just smile. Yeah. Use the smile as the sword yeah. to oh. cut away the rubbish of the mind. Yeah. And we come back over here mm-hmm. and then we get back on, on track again. Yes. So we're, we're such vastly multi-layered beings. We can be multiple things at the same time, but we like to create monocultures. That's what we do even in our own internal landscape. Mm-hmm. But we can be sad and happy at the same time. It's not just that sadness then leads us to happiness and the sadness enabled us to feel happy and then the happiness enables us to sustain sadness. It's not flip-flop, flip-flop. We can be many things all at the same time. That's right. And I think it's giving yourself that break too because sometimes if you think, oh, well, I should be happy – and then suddenly you're not happy and then you think, well, fuck it, I'm just going to go down to the bottle shop now. I'm going to go to the Thirsty Camel and get a bottle of scotch. You know, you don't need to do that. So if you, you know, we all do. You do, I do. We oscillate all the time. We're in and out and we're just doing our best. And that's all you need to do, the people listening. Just do your best. No one is perfect. Fucking hell. I know I'm not. And you keep, you keep keeping smiling even when you are really even when you've fucked it up profoundly is Mm. that yes you can feel terrible about it I spoke about this the other night in the group is that I don't have the same negative um, narrative around shame because Mm. I think shame is very very important as a as a billboard or as a as a signpost to say Mm. oh hang on when I do this thing it makes me feel like that yeah I don't like feeling like that Mm. how what can I do to see it to kind of neutralize it a little bit and then learn from it to go, oh, okay, well, I, that's not something I necessarily want to have in my life. So what positive thing could I start to plant there to take the place of that thing that 
triggered that feeling. Mm. So allowing yourself to feel that if you fuck it up profoundly or even in a small way that makes you feel uncomfortable. But at the same time, you can also smile at that. And that's the role of the curious observer Mm. because it's enthusiastic. That's just the nature of curiosity. So if you can have that as a role all the time, then you can look to the situation, smile at it, and then that smile acts as the sword to go, just stop that bullshit. Just, what? It's fine. Come back over here. So what is your amazing husband? So So what? what? (laughs) It's just, you you know, lighten up. We're just going to all lighten up, you know. So it what? can take a long way to get there, can't it? Yeah. I'm but, feeling really uncomfortable in this social situation. So what? Yeah, <laughs> look at me be awkward. Yeah. That's going to be the new T-shirt design. So what? So what? <laughs> I, I love that. One of the things I said to my kids recently is that, well, both of them actually, my two youngest boys, and we were talking just about, you know, social situations, and I said to them, you know what one of the best liberations in your whole life will be is falling in love with the awkward is that you just fall in love with those really awesome, awkward moments mm-hmm. to the point where sometimes you even initiate them. Like you just be a bit weird in a moment and then you just sort of sit in the silence and you just take your eyes to the left and the right and everybody's awkward and it's amazing. And so if you can feel this sort of love of the awkward because it is such a fear of us as human beings that we're just going to be a bit odd We're going to be a bit awkward. We're going to make a bit of a fool of ourselves. But if you can embrace the awkward to the point where you can just sit in them and just wait and see what's going to happen with that curiosity, Mm. it's like liberation. Embrace the so what. Embrace the so what. Be awkward. If everything was just so what, oh, God, we should do another episode (laughs) on so what. (laughs) But, you know, so what? And then you don't need, then we don't take ourselves so seriously. Then we don't need to fucking race off to the bottle shop. You know, I'm feeling really uncomfortable right now or awkward. So what? Yep. And it, and that doesn't mean not doing the work. You mm. can be so what? And I'm going to do the work to propagate great change because right. that's amazing. Uh-huh. But you can be those things at the same time. I don't want to meditate this morning. So what? <laughs> doing it anyway. <laughs> Yes, that's the thing. So what? Why are you complaining about it? Because you're going to do it anyway. You know, that's that's so beautiful. I say that to my students who have to show up for the Dissolving Patterns program at 6 a.m. every morning. And um, I love am it. in the process it. of creating an on-demand for different time zone people who, mm. you know, like have Western Australian people, bless them, who are getting what up to do it up? at 4. That's starting for them at 4 and they're showing up every okay, day. I'm like, wow, you are incredible. And, um, but you're laying in bed and it's just like, oh, I don't want to get out of bed. I don't want, I want to sleep in the mind's like, rah, 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 rah. It's just like, so what? <laughs> you know, you're going to do it anyway. Yeah. So just, it just softens everything. Like mm. softening into the diligence. It's the new soft t-shirt. discipline. Yep. Soft discipline. So what? Doesn't matter. I love this. This is life-changing stuff. <laughs> So speaking of life changing, if people want to change their life, I mean, you've got everything under the sun imaginable that you do, you know, you've got your podcast coming out, you've got your dissolving patterns program, which is amazing, life changing stuff for people, which is also going to be on demand and online. I know you're in the middle of dissolving patterns right now. 
You and Shane, I think it's more Shane, isn't it, does online yoga? Uh, Tuesday and Thursday mornings. So when I'm not teaching the other programs, I'm Tuesdays, he's Thursdays. Tuesday and Thursday at what time? 6am. But if you're not a a 6am person or if you're in a different time zone, when you book in, you get the recording. Amazing. So you can do it at your own leisure. So if someone wanted to sign up, where do they go? Thepranaproject.com. So the bulk of everything that we do is on the Prana Project website, which is what, of course, we're founders of. And then anything that's sort of specific for me, just Lissy Turner me, and then you'll find you'll find me and reach out to me with any sort of, you know, just any discussions, inquiries, jokes. I'm always up for a good anecdote. <laughs> she loves it, and you can meet her in the flesh if you buy tickets to um, messages. Message from the bottle is that what we called it? Message from the bottle. Message. Messages from. The- Shall I look it up on, on my Instagram? <laughs> <laughs> You'll know what we mean when you see it. Amazingly, C. Turner, I love you so much. Oh, Danny, oh. I just feel like I just vomit my words all over you, but thank you for, for having me on. You can and... vomit on me anytime, <laughs> as long as it doesn't smell of fruity booze. No, no more anymore. <laughs> and um, I was just thinking too, if you do tune into my podcast, if you're listening, it'll be great because then it'll be you, Danny, and my mum who've listened. So no, no. <laughs> There's a few more than that, but um, I'm always deeply appreciative to be on your in your space here because you're just doing amazing things. I'm so appreciative to have you sharing in this space. You're amazing. My God. <laughs> Lisa Turner, amazing. Love your guts. See ya. Bye. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.